Well, amen. Let's give some thanks to the Lord with some applause. He is good. He's worthy of it. Praise Him for this past week and looking forward to the week ahead. Happy Thanksgiving. The way it's here upon us. As a matter of fact, let me, let me just warn you now, when you go out to your car and start it and, and start to head toward home, you've officially entered the holiday season. Whether you're ready or not, it, it's here. It starts right now. You know, I, I tell you, I, I've, I've, and I've said this a lot, I, I love this time of year. I, I, as a matter of fact, it's not really my personality, the things I love about Christmas, but I, I tell you what, I, I love the hectic pace and the, the, the schedule and the parties and, and all the running around, the lights, the decorations, everything that goes with it. I love, I've always been all up in Christmas. Let's, let's just do this. Let's bring it on. But what's funny is what I love so much about Christmas, it's the opposite of that. That also makes me love Thanksgiving so much. Have you ever thought that on Thanksgiving Day, if you just take Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day, they really have a lot of the same stuff? Except on Thanksgiving Day, you have all that stuff without the debt and the schedule and the craziness, right? I mean, you just think, this Thursday, we're, we're going to have the, the, the family, right? We're going to have good food, and we're going to have football. It's all there, everything to be thankful for uh, this week. You know, one thing I think that every believer, every Bible believer has to love about Thanksgiving, and gosh, let's hope it's not down to a day, but we should be grateful for a day that, that drives us to a biblical discipline. And I call it a discipline. A discipline means you, you, you do it whether it's raining or not, right? You, you, you do this whether it feels good or not. The discipline of giving thanks. I don't think we always recognize, realize the power that that has in our life. Listen, your thankfulness determines how you see and understand God, maybe more than anything else. You, Separate God for a second. Your thankfulness determines how you see and understand life. The, the very life you live. It's, it's not who's in your life. It's not what you've experienced in life. Folks, it, it's our attitude toward that. Our gratitude shapes our attitude. And folks, that totally determines everything we're going to experience in life. And I don't think anybody models that, explains that, calls us to that like Paul does. Especially in his, his letter to the, to the Philippians. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, uh, there with you, go ahead and open that now. I hope you have it with you every Sunday. Uh, open up to Philippians. It's there in the New Testament. Probably not the easiest book in the New Testament to find. Get past the big ones. The Gospels, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. And then you start heading up on some short, Small letters, Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians. That's kind of the, the neighborhood you're heading toward. And as you get there, it, we're going to be today in chapter 1. But if you were to read all of Philippians, you'd find that it is a book. And by the way, I encourage you to read it all. Read it, read it this afternoon, read it this week. It won't take you 10, 12 minutes to read the whole thing. And what you'll find is a book of joy. A book of rejoicing, a book of celebration. As a matter of fact, you are, if in four chapters, you're going to find, I think, like 16 times the word joy, the word rejoice. I mean, you read this and it looks like things could, just couldn't be any better for Paul. He's just on top. He's living the dream. As a matter of fact, my guess would be is Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians on, on about 4.30 Thanksgiving afternoon. He, he's got a belly full of good turkey. He's cutting his second slice of pumpkin pie or pecan pie, whatever it does for you. And, 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 and his team's already won and everybody's taking a nap. So it's kind of quiet. Listen to the goodness. Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? 
I mean, clearly, that's the kind of moment that Paul's got to be experiencing as you read Philippians. And yet, here's the shocker. It's nothing like that at all. It's not the afternoon of Thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, Paul writes to us the letter to the Philippians from prison. What comes to your mind when you think of, when you hear prison? Darkness? Fear? Loneliness? I mean, yeah, it's going to be all of those words. That's going to be the environment that shapes where Paul is sitting, what he's experiencing when he writes this. And a little bit unique to him, in Paul's case, in this imprisonment, he is actually chained to a guard. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's chained to somebody. Now, the guards change every six hours, as a matter of fact. The guards are changing, but he doesn't have not a single second of solitude. Not not a single moment alone. And it is from this context, it's from this moment that he writes this book where it sounds like he just couldn't be any more joyous. He, He couldn't be any happier. Now you and I would look at, okay, now clearly he's not happy for where he is. Clearly he's not happy about what he's going through. So what's he so grateful for? What is he so joyous about? Well, we're introduced to that in verse 12. Look down there in chapter 1, if you have that open. Philippians 1, verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him? I've been arrested, I've been imprisoned, and I'm sitting here chained to a guard. That's what's happened to me. What has happened to me has really served to advance. What's that word advance? Advance means move forward, grow. It's gotten stronger. It's gotten better. It's gotten more profitable. Hey, what has happened to me has advanced the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I love verse 13. It's almost like he's writing a little code there to us. You see, what he's saying in verse 13 is, I ain't chained to nobody. They're chained to me. These guys are hearing the gospel whether they want to hear it or not. I mean, Paul's looking, hey, there's a group of people I would have never met that I would have never been around, and I'm getting to share the gospel with them. And he goes on in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, and much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's saying here, hey, listen, there's there's Christian brothers here in in jail with me. There's Christian brothers that have come to visit. They, They see what I'm doing. They see what is going on, and they're thinking to themselves, man, I can't, I can't act ashamed. I can't be embarrassed. I can't be scared. Look what, look what Paul's doing. And they've gotten more bold. So so you see, as Paul, what what has happened to him? He's been imprisoned. He's been chained. But he says, you know, I'm looking around and and just everything is a win. I mean, I'm seeing people come to Christ. Now, folks, think about this as he's sharing the gospel with these soldiers. I, I mean, by and large, these guys are bullies. They're big, strong bullies. And no doubt, when he is sharing the gospel with some of them, they're, they're beating him up. They're kicking him for that. They're mocking him for that. They're spitting on him for that. Ah, but some of them, I don't know how many, doesn't give a number, but some of these guys who roll through end up on their knees. 
trusting in Jesus Christ to be their Savior and their Lord. And Paul says, hey, what's happened to me? God's using that to advance the gospel into individual lives. I see other brothers in Christ getting more bold, getting more passionate, getting more excited, and, and they're going out and the, advo- the, the, the gospel is advancing that way. So again, Paul's looking around. It's just nothing but wins here. Now, there's a, a little bit of caveat here to everything I'm saying today. I want to show you, Paul, I want to show you a life of joy and power and thanksgiving No matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through, no matter what is going on right now or happened to you 27 years ago. But the the way this all works is when your life has been given over to advancing the gospel. Do you realize that's a different statement than saying you're a believer? That's different than saying, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I've, I've been saved from sin and death and hell. No, no, this is a life given over. Everything in my life is about advancing the gospel. When that's what your life is about, then you can't lose. When that's what your life is about, everything in your life becomes a win. Now, when I say everything, let's think about this. Because, folks, as you read through these four chapters, you know what you won't hear addressed You're not going to hear Paul talk about how comfortable his situation is. Because it's not comfortable. It wouldn't be comfortable at all. It would be cold. It would be hot. It would be wet. The floor's hard. He's in chains. I don't know if it's around his wrist, around his ankles. I I know that when you're wearing those kinds of chains, they're going to rub. There's going to be blisters. There's going to be blood. He's not comfortable. He's not going to talk about the food. (laughs) What would even be the point? You know, he's not going to talk about what he's lost. He's not going to talk about what he's not getting to do because he's imprisoned. And folks, all of those things are very real. Those are real issues that cause real pain, real discomfort. They cause real loss. It's just not where his focus is. He's focused on all the wins. You might say, okay, no, so this is, so you're like talking about the power of positive thinking, right? Oh my gosh, not at all. Nothing like that. You know, positive thinking says, you know what, I'm going to try to see the good in everybody or that person in particular. (laughs) I'm going to try to see the good in everything. You know, I'm going to, you know, I, life's not where I'd want it to be right now. It's not what I'd want it to be right now. But, but you know what? I know I got in my mind a picture of good. I've, I've got in my mind the life I want. And I'm trying to keep focused on that and, and build toward that. That's, that's the power of positive thinking. It's a difficult way to live because you actually are doing that in a broken world where not everything is good. There are places where I'm trying to see good and saying they're not, they're not good there. It's not there. That's not what Paul's doing, though. Paul's not, Paul's not imagining good. He's not hoping for good. He's not trying to see the good. He's living the good. He's living the good of his good God that's in control of his life. And I would say probably from Paul's words, put him in prison so that person could hear the gospel. Allowed that very difficult situation because in that situation, the gospel needed to advance. And so life is just nothing but wins for him. He's say, man, how do, you, how do you see things like that? How do you think like that? I, how do you maintain that mindset and that attitude? Well, I think he shows us the how in verse 21. As a matter of fact, I want to read verse 21 to 25. I'm going to put just verse 21 up here just so we can kind of let that one soak in. 
and we can kind of let that one stay on top of us here for a moment. I, by, by the way, if, if, it's, if it's been a while since you've worked on memorizing Scripture, and you should always be memorizing Scripture, shame on you. Start with this one. I mean, it's 12 words. It's an easy one. And man, I, I, I think one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible. So let's, let's hear what Paul's saying here. He says, hey, listen... Here's the bottom line. Whether I'm in prison or whether I'm out of prison, whether, whether life is working the way I want or whether life is not working the way I want, here's the bottom line, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. My life came from Christ. My, Christ is, my life is empowered by Christ. My life is for Christ. And my life is returning to Christ. Life is all about Jesus. Life is completely for Jesus. And there's no situation, there's no place where that moment, that situation can't be for him. It's all wins. Now from a world's perspective, oh yeah, it'll end when you die. When I die, yeah, that's when it gets really good. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is profit. To die is when we really start cooking with grace. Now we're going to take off. Dying. Look at verse 22. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. Between what two? You know what I'm I'm having a hard time deciding between whether I'm really enjoying living or whether I'm really looking forward to to dying. Let's see how he finishes this thought. I, uh, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. You realize what he just said there in a very romantic kind of poetic way. He just said, hey, listen, all things being equal, I'd just rather die. All, all things being equal, I would just rather go to heaven. Ah, that... That's where the prison thing is coming out. That's where we're seeing how miserable and how difficult he really is in life. No, not at all. Look, look what he believes about going to Christ and, and going to heaven. He says, that's where it's going to be far better. Far better than the best world you can imagine. Far better than everything you're working on, everything you're dreaming about, everything that you would want on this earth. Paul says, hey, listen, when I go to Christ, when I go there through death, that's when life gets far better. Boy, that's a whole lot more than being ready to die, isn't it? That's a whole lot more than, oh, I've, I've, I've made peace with my maker. By the way, I don't know where that thought came from. You've never made peace with your maker. Oh, you've made with your maker, the Bible says it, enmity. And you know what's enmity? The exact opposite of peace. Your maker made peace with you. And you can come up under that peace and live there if you so choose. Okay? Let's finish reading this. This is awesome. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. It's like he says, oh, shucks, I'm going to have to keep living. You guys need that. I need to be here for your faith, for your growth in the Lord. I, I need to stay here. I know that's what the Lord is going to be doing with me, so uh, I'll stay. You know, so folks, what we, what we have, Paul, here is just this entire mindset. Hey, listen, I can't lose. There's no scenario. There's nothing that can happen. Nothing. 
that can happen tomorrow. Nothing that can happen this week. It doesn't matter how life unfolds. If it unfolds to the right, if it unfolds to the left, if it unfolds straight forward, doesn't really matter. However it unfolds, I live for Christ. However it unfolds, I can advance the gospel. I can be a part of what God's called me to be and do. And what worst case scenario, I die? Are you kidding me? Man, that's life. That's when life gets really good. I mean, folks, heaven is the prize, right? Dying and going to be with Jesus and going to heaven, that is the big prize. You know, I would imagine across this room, throughout the building today, is a a group of people that, that largely believe in that. That would largely, oh yes, absolutely, heaven is our hope, heaven is the reward, that's, that's what life is for and what life is about. But you know, I, I wonder, is it possible that this thing we consider to be a great prize is a prize that we avoid? A prize we want, but not really. <laughs> a prize I'm looking forward to, but not anytime soon. You know, that's a, that's a strange thought. As a matter of fact, you, you can kind of go some wrong directions with that thought. I feel like I have to be a little bit careful here, but I'm not sure we're really absorbing the prize and the reward of heaven and what that's supposed to be in our lives. And with that being for Paul, what it is. See, that's the starting point by which there's no loss in life. Hey, the world can throw, evil can throw, it's very worst at me. It can't touch the prize. It can't take away the prize. There's nothing that this world or evil can do that can keep me from sharing the prize with others so that they can know this good news also. And folks, what it results in is no matter where Paul is, no matter what he's existing in, no matter what he's living, his life is filled with absolute joy, absolute power for dealing with whatever situation he's in and genuine gratitude. He doesn't have to manufacture gratitude. I say manufacture Thanksgiving. We we do that some, don't we? Like on, say, Thanksgiving. (laughs) All all across America this week, Thursday in particular, we'll go around the table. Time to give thanks, right? I'm thankful for, uh, shoot, what am I thankful for? Uh, Health and life and uh, for a roof over my head and, and for a job. All my kids, they're, they're healthy and good. You know, and I know the way I'm saying this, it almost sounds like I'm kind of mocking that. You know, when we do that, I'm not saying we're not thankful for it. I'm not saying that if we don't stop and have a moment where, that we're genuinely grateful for that. You know what I am saying, though? Is gratitude has not led to what came out of my mouth. I was next in line. As, as the circle came around, I was next in line and I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to say something. So I rattle off these things. More likely, they're identical to the things I rattled off last Thanksgiving. I'm supposed to be thankful for this. Folks, that's not what Paul's doing right here. He's not saying, oh, I'm a believer, I love Jesus, I'm supposed to like heaven, I'm supposed to look forward to being with him, that's what I'm grateful for no matter what's going on. He's not manufacturing this, folks. This is bubbling up out of him. This is the, the real deal. It is genuine. And folks, God is showing you Paul because he's showing you you. He's showing you what he has for you, the life. Folks, there is nothing about your life that means you can't get to where Paul's life is. Paul's not showing us a life that most of us can't really attain. Paul's showing us a life that God has for every single one of us. A life of joy and power and thanksgiving. 
And, and you know one of the proofs that that's there for all of us? It's right here in Philippians. It's not our focus today, but boy, it's a focus of Philippians. It's a favorite verse, not only out of that letter, but I think a favorite verse out of the entire Bible, Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Man, you talk about positive thinking. You talk about hope. Man, I can do anything. I can accomplish anything. I can endure anything through Christ. What a powerful verse. Sadly, we reduce this verse to being a mantra for our personal success. Oh, I can do all things through Christ. I can score the winning Super Bowl touchdown. Oh, through Christ, I can get an A. Oh, through Christ, I can, I can do good in the meeting and win the big deal. Hey, through Christ, I can conquer. And, and we take this statement and reduce it to nothing more than me being successful and my agenda coming to fruition. And you know what? I'm not, I don't want to completely divorce this statement from that idea. But you know, folks, we have our favorite verses and we kind of pull them out so that we just hold on to that one line. But you know, that one line lived in a neighborhood. <laughs> that one line had verses all around it. We call it a context. You know, it's interesting when you go read Philippians 4. I imagine if you have your Bible open, you can glance down at it. The neighborhood, this is a financial verse. Did you know that? If you read in verse 11 and 12, you'll find Paul saying, hey, listen, I've been rich and I've been poor. I've had more resources than I knew what to do with, and I didn't have any resources. And you know what I've learned in life? Those resources, that money has nothing to do with me being what God's called me to be. It has nothing to do with me being able to do what God has called me to do. It is not money that empowers me. It is not money that enables me. It is not money that strengthens me. It is it's Christ. Christ is my strength. Christ is the enabler. And, and, and so he's, you know, he's saying, hey, listen, I, I can do anything. And folks, that's there for you. That's there for you. The same Paul, life Paul's living, the same life he's modeling right there in prison. Folks, whatever prison you're living in, the prison of that situation, the prison of that hurt, God is showing you today, hey, listen, you can be everything I want you to be. Do everything I want you to do. Listen, you can, been, you can have been raped, betrayed, lied to, lied about, mocked, and robbed, and you can advance the gospel of Christ in that very life right there. You know what, you can have, right up to the moment you walked in these doors a few minutes ago, you can have failed miserably at advancing the gospel of Christ in your life. And you can advance the gospel of Christ. And of course, there's the other end of the spectrum, right? You could just be living all roses today. I mean, just life, just everything turns up right for you. you just, when's the next promotion happen? You know, you've been promoted, you've been loved, you've been blessed, you've been rescued. It's just all good. Hey, in that position also, you can advance the cause of Christ. There's nothing about you, there's nothing about where you've been or what you've been through that doesn't mean you can't advance the gospel of Christ. That your life can't be about the greatest eternal good there is. There's nothing about you that is beyond God's power. That is beyond God's work. There's no place in life where you can't make much of Jesus. And that should be, if that is the great joy of our life, then there's no place you can't have joy. Now folks, that statement is not, that statement's not belittling what you've been through. It's not dismissing 
where you've been. It's not denying the reality of scars and hurts and wrongs. What it is saying is even in that place that is so bad, there can be a great good. God using you to advance the gospel in that very place. And when that becomes how we see life, when that becomes what our life is about, then folks, there's just nothing but joy and power and thanksgiving. You know, in the bulletin today, you, you see that the title of the sermon is, is more thankful than ever. You know, after this year and what I've been through, you probably kind of have in your mind what I, what I mean by that. I'm, I'm more thankful than ever to be alive, right? Seven months ago, tomorrow, uh, I went through a little situation with death. Uh, as a matter of fact, at least by two doctors, I was within hours of dying. And that led to a, a, an open heart surgery and uh, a kind of a process of recovery that I found pretty challenging. I, you might not. I might be a little bit of a wimp. I don't mind saying that. I thought it was a little bit challenging to overcome being cracked open. But uh, hey, here we are seven months later, right? One week became two weeks, two weeks became two months, seven months. Man, God has restored life. He's restored strength. He's restored health. It's, it's, I mean, you've, some of you have heard me say this. It's almost like it didn't happen until I take my shirt off. I got a new set of pictures here. <laughs> almost like it didn't happen. And, it's, it, it, you know, and so when I say I'm more thankful than ever, clearly that, hey, that's to be alive. That, that's to be healed. And, and boy, as I returned to work and, and came back to church here, I mean, I, I just hundreds of, literally hundreds of conversations up and down the aisles, out in the concourse, talking with people. Oh, pastor, you know, it's, man, so good to see you. And I know a lot of you've heard me say, hey, it's good to be seen. And I know what that means now. Oh, pastor, I'm so, so sorry what you've been through. Hey, it's better than the alternative. I said that a lot. One Sunday, and I, I, don't, I don't remember what Sunday it was. I'm guessing it would be around in August. One Sunday, I was kind of walking through the concourse and, again, having these kinds of conversations. And I was right outside that door right there, probably four or five feet from it. And I was having one of these conversations. And I, and I said that. I said, boy, it's better than the alternative. And it was kind of weird. It was kind of like one of those moments in the movies where everything freezes. You know, there's all this busyness going on, but it all stops. And like the main character is the only one that knows what's going on. That was me for a moment. I had, the whole thing probably happened in the blink of an eye. But it just seemed like life kind of slowed down for a moment. And, and I said that. It's better than the alternative. Everything freezes. And I, folks, I swear to you, I hear this voice. Why do you keep saying that? Blink of an eye, it's over. I said goodbye. I'm pretty sure it was between services because as I remember it in my mind, I, you know, I, I came down, walked down the aisle and sat down and got ready for the next service. Other than Karen, I have not to this day told anybody that story. And I, and I mostly have not told it because I wasn't sure quite how to share it because it almost sounds like, am I saying I, would, I wished I died? I, I prefer death. Is that, is that where we're getting to? Is that... Is that what this means? And I just, do, do I have a death wish now? What, yeah, I just didn't know how to communicate it. And of course, then I thought, wait a minute. Paul said this. Paul said, hey, this is far better. Why do I keep saying, no, the better alternative is not to have what God has for me? Now, that doesn't mean I have a death wish, folks. I, I like being alive. 
I think life, I think the scripture, it's not like this is my opinion. The scripture teaches life is a gift from God. And, and he gives that gift to us. We are, he's the owner of life. He's the owner of breath. He's the owner of heartbeats. Not me. I'm a manager of that. The Bible word is a steward. And I, I am to manage this life. I am to be a good steward of this life. That means I need to cherish it. I need to protect it. I need to respect it. Mine and, and, and yours. I think God puts in us a, a passion for living. The world calls it a survival instinct, right? So, so folks, I like living. But this life is not the big prize. Heaven is. Heaven's the big prize. And like I said earlier, I know that across this room there would be tremendous agreement with that. But where does that agreement show up? Does it show up when we're dealing with death? When we're dealing with somebody else's death? Does it actually show up anywhere? Man, I want to live. Six weeks after my surgery, uh, my, my third child, I have four, my third child graduated from high school and we were down at the Siegel Center. I know a lot of you have been through that whole process and done that routine. And uh, we're down there and I, I, Karen's with me and the kids and her mom and my parents. I think we had another friend or two. I mean, there's a group of us all there and graduation hasn't started yet. As a matter of fact, we can't even see Colin. He's you know, in line somewhere, probably having a lot of fun, high-fiving, joking, talking about the, the future and all that. And so there's all this kind of, I mean, you know what a graduation's like. There's all this fun going on. And, and, I, and I'm sitting there taking all that in and enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, I just kind of get overwhelmed with this thought. What, what if I had died? And I'm kind of watching Karen, and, and, and she doesn't know I'm doing that, but I'm kind of watching, I'm thinking, what would this moment be like for her right now if she had buried me five weeks ago? I'm just trying to, I'm seeing what is, but I'm, what, what, what if? And then that, that makes me think a little bit about Colin. I can't see him. He's somewhere waiting to come inside, you know. And, but I'm thinking, what would this whole, how, how would that have flavored all this? How would that have affected all this? And I, I just had this little moment, I never said that out loud, but I just had this little moment of grief. Not, not for me, but what my death would have meant to them. How it would have affected them in that in that moment. In a, in a couple of weeks, uh, Karen and I will celebrate our, our 28th anniversary. Been married 28 years. And, uh, you know, I've said this up here a lot uh, over the years. I, I have in my mind a, a kind of a goal, an, an idea, something I, I really look forward to and want. I, I, look, I look forward to being married 52, 57 years Obviously, dying really short circuits that whole opportunity. But, you know, for me, that's not just a picture of, of getting to an anniversary. Ooh, look how long we've been married. There, in my mind, there's a whole story that goes with that. that. That when we reach that moment, I mean, if you've done that on this earth, then you've gone through some, you've gone through some really high times, some really exciting times as a couple, as a family, in life. You've, you've gone through some low times, Right? You, you've, you've gone through some bad times. You, you've gone through some times where, boy, you just made some great decisions and, boy, that decision turned out so well and, boy, every couple makes at least one really stupid what-in-the-world-were-we-thinking decision. And so you have, you, know, you have these ups and downs, these highs and lows, this good and bad. 
man, if you walk together 50-something years, there's, there's going to be a few mornings you wake up and just look at each other like, ugh, not even sure I like you that much. Uh, right? See, I, I actually think that's a good moment. Because that moment then gives me the opportunity X number of years down the road to be standing there still holding hands. And I just think that has to be about the highest moment of intimacy that can be experienced on this planet. You know, another thing, again, Karen and I, we both turned 50 this year, me back in June, her and just a couple of weeks ago in October. That's one of those milestone birthdays, right? You're kind of thinking and measuring and all of that. And uh, I, more connected with her birthday than mine, I, I found myself just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I was praying and I have a journal and I was writing in it and I wrote out this prayer in which you're going to hear me say in just a second and I used the phrase three times as much. You're going to say, why did you say three times as much? I have no idea. It's just what came out. Okay? But I was praying and, and, and this is, was praying about us and where we were and 50 years old and all that and 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 I and I wrote this in my prayer I said Lord would you would you give Karen and I together the opportunity to do three times as much ministry to have three times the more opportunity to advance your gospel in the next 25 years than we had in the last 50 that's my prayer. That's very real. I, very, I mean, I, for me, that's a lot of ideas and things I'm, I'm thinking about and working through. Hey, you know something I want to see? I want to see my kids grow up. Man, they're kind of moving into that place. It's, here's the baton. Now, now you go. You know, like any parent, I hope they're happy. I hope they're successful. All that nonsense. You know, I hope my kids, whatever they do, I, I hope they stand for Christ in their generation. That's not a given. It's not a given. I want to see them take their place and stand for Christ. And a part of it, as I think about that and dream about that, is scary. I'm not saying I'm right, but I believe that if they do indeed stand for Christ in their generation, it will cost them much more than it cost me. They will pay a price for doing that in our nation that I did not have to pay. But it's what what I... I want to see. I want to, I want to be old enough to watch them grow and, and do that. You know, there's something else I want. I've never said this out loud in my entire life until today. And obviously today's this is the third time I've said it. <laughs> and the reason I've never said it is because I'm just way too young to say something like this. But I, I think I want to be a grandparent. That looks like a pretty good gig. You see, folks, just like you, when I say I want to live, there is a rush of very concrete ideas and dreams and desires, things things that I work on tomorrow so that that's a reality 10 years, 15 years, 25 years down the road. I mean, when I say I want to live, that's very clear pictures to me. It's not just existing. It's not just drawing breath. No, I mean, I want all those things. And yes... As I gather around the Thanksgiving table this year, there's a sense in which I'm more thankful than ever that all of that picture and opportunity is still there for me. It's still out there as an option. 
But that's not actually what I'm more thankful for than ever before. What I'm more thankful for than ever before is all of these ideas of what would make my life so rich and so meaningful and so good and and everything I could imagine that if I lose every single bit of it and die, that's far better. I can't imagine a world. I can't imagine a life. I can't be working towards something in this life that is going to be better than heaven. That's the far better. And that's what Christ has done for me. I didn't create that life. I can't create that life. I'm not worthy of that. But Christ has created for me a place where only what is in front is far Better If I live, there's no situation where I can't keep moving toward that and take others with me. And if I die, it just gets far better. Folks, in Christ, it is wonderful to die. In Christ, it is wonderful to die. That's two big words. Because if we're not in Christ, then death is even more of an imaginable horror that you think is all the reasons you don't like talking about it, want to be around it, uncomfortable at a funeral. No, it's in Christ. That's what makes everything. Two words. In Christ makes two other words possible. Far better. Let's pray. Father, as we go to the Thanksgiving table this week, there are things we're grateful for. Things that we're glad have happened, that were accomplished, that came about, that, that are just a description of what is. Lord, there are things that we would like to be better. As long as we walk on this planet, there are things that could be better. I'm thankful that in you, Jesus, there is a future that is far better than anything that I can possibly imagine would be the greatest ever. In you that is possible. Lord I pray like Paul. I can take my future. And let that begin to shape and guide my present. I pray like Paul. I could take my future. And let that fill me with joy and power. And thanksgiving for living. In the present. Because not all the present is good. And not all the present is going to feel good or work out like we would like. God, guide us, help us, show us how to do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.